Good evening, family. It is good, as always, to be here and speaking with you this evening. I want to thank everybody who is just for for all the the, the kindness that you've showed Tabitha and I, uh, for the the well wishes, the cards, the gifts, and just for the love of this congregation. Uh, as we're uh, adjusting to married life, um, we've been you know trying to find that balance with with the chores that we're doing and, and everything. So I try to help out a little bit um, with, with like the laundry. And I was folding laundry the other day and I'm kind of partway through the basket and there's all these socks laying there and I start pairing up the socks and throwing them on the bed. And uh, I get done with all the socks and there's like five socks left and they don't have, they don't have a friend. I have five lonely socks. And so I'm like, man, I, I like these socks. You know, I, you know, those socks are a gift, and those are Tabitha's socks for when she does cycling, and she needs like special bike socks, and and I need special socks for um, because I have sweaty feet, and uh, and, and and so I'm like, man, like where's where's these socks? And so I'm, I'm, you know, I lose things a lot. I'm kind of scatterbrained, so I I, I stop a moment and I pray, and I'm like, Lord, you know, please please help me find my socks and help me to find Tabitha's socks and. And Lord, not just not just my socks, but like all the socks. There's a lot of lost socks out out there, and you know, there's a lot of lost socks in Africa, and a lot of lost socks in in South America. There's a lot of lost socks in in Asia. There's a lot of socks in Asia, Lord, and just Lord, all those lost socks. And and so I'm I'm thinking about these lost socks, and like, how am I going to find these socks? How am I going to find these socks? And I'm like, man. So I, 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 I get out like my, my Hebrew and Greek lexicon, and I look up the Greek and Hebrew words for, for socks. There's not one. They wore sandals. And um, so I, I get online. I start looking up like strategies for finding lost socks. And like I find like a group of people to talk about lost socks with. And, and we meet up together every week, and we talk about lost socks. And, and after about two or three weeks, Tabitha looks at me, and she's like, are you going to do anything about these clothes? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm, I've got a plan, I've got a plan, I'm going to, I need to just get a few things. So I go down to the garage and I get, I get my headlamp, because like the socks might be in a dark place, and, and uh, I get like my three foot like grabber extender thing, you know, you pull the trigger and it has like a little claw action, and I grab one of those, it could be like behind the dryer up high, and, and I get like some Velcro, because it could be like really like stuck with a lot of lint on it, and, and uh, I get like a harness and a rope, because I don't know like how far back, like into the sock zone, those things fell into the dryer, and uh, I go, I, I go looking in the dryer. I go looking in the basement. I go looking like all over the place, and I can't find the socks. And, and Tabitha's just like, "But are you going to fold like the rest of the clothes?" And I'm like, "Okay." I give up on these socks. There's nothing I can do about these lost socks. And I go upstairs and I pick up the shirt that's been laying on the bed, and, and they're underneath my shirt. <laughs> It's a, it's a silly story, but, but sometimes that's, that's the way we, we treat the idea of, of disciple-making. Um, if, if you would, turn, up, turn, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus' last command to his disciples here in the book of Matthew, Matthew closes out his whole gospel with this as its capstone. This is uh, Matthew's way of saying this is, this is it. This is what we're supposed to go do now. We're supposed to go and make disciples. First thing, don't get caught up on the go there. I think a lot of people get really caught up on the go uh, and, and talk about the, the commandment that we're supposed to go. Not really. Um, I know in English it looks like Jesus is telling them to go. Um, but one of the things I've been learning in, in my, in my uh, Greek classes is that that's not... The, the word there is not the action. That's not the action that Jesus is telling them. This is a participle. You know, you know, participles are kind of like the action in which another action takes place. So as he was preaching, he told a silly story about socks. The action is me telling the story, but the preaching is what it's taking place within. The go here is what the, the disciple making is taking place in. So another way we could translate this, another way we could understand this is as you're going... Or having gone, or uh, like a literal translation is, um, what was it? They goad, like you you goad now, you goad and do this. So having gone, make disciples. So don't don't worry about the go so much. The go is going to be taken care of by life. You're going to go to the store. You're going to go over to your, your family's house. You're going to go to work. You're going to go to school. As you go, make disciples. In whatever context you find yourself in, take the gospel with you and make disciples. So then this quickly answers the question of who we're supposed to make disciples of. We don't have to worry about, well, where am I going? Like, What's the best mission field? What's the most fruitful place for me to go to? Because wherever you go, there's probably going to be people there, and you can take the gospel to them as you go. So we've got the who, we've got the where. So what are we taking to them? What, what, is, what is the message that we are sharing? I think very simply put, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, verses 3 and 4. Actually, it'd be, be three in the verses following. For I delivered to you as a first importance. This is the most important thing Paul gave to the church of Corinth. He says, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, or Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to Jacob, or, or James. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I am the least of these apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
whether it was I or they. So we preach, and so you believe. Paul says also earlier in 1 Corinthians, in in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, Sorry. Um, maybe that's. Oh, no wonder. I'm in the wrong book. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, though through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So when Paul is preaching the gospel to people, what he preaches to them is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ according to the prophecies found in the Old Testament. That God says... That what God says he will do, he does. So, then all the other promises of God, having, having been fulfilled through Christ, we can have faith in the other promises of God. And then Paul further goes on to say, he says, you know, you know I am least of all these apostles because I persecuted the church. He gives testimony to where he was before he knew Christ and how Christ has how God has used him and how through Christ he has been transformed. And then with the verses about he and Apollos, uh, who is an interesting character, we can read about him in Acts, and how, how when he was preaching the gospel, he was not preaching about the baptism of, of Jesus, but only the baptism of John and, and Aquila and Priscilla corrected him. Um, so this is a thing where, you, where we start looking at the early church and we see how as they're making disciples, it, it's very much a community effort. You know, we, we don't have to think that disciple-making is, is only on me. It's just me doing this, and I'm having to go out and make disciples. No, it, it's, it's God working in us to make disciples. Disciple-making is a family effort. So what we are preaching then, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, how he, was, he died and was buried and he was resurrected, and how he saves us from our sins, and how God works in us, that is, that is how we begin to speak the truth of God's gospel into people's lives. And so in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, Paul writes, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, Be, being watchful in it with, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. As a brief aside, it really is a, a, a tremendously, uh, it, it's very encouraging to know that the congregation prays for you. And I, I would encourage you to you know, pray for me, pray for Bill, uh, pray for whoever is to come and, and fill Bill's position. Pray for our elders, our deacons. Um, continue steadfastly praying for those who are, who are working in the church. But he says, Paul says in verse 3, he says, Pray also for us that God may open a door 
for the word. So as we're praying to God, giving thanks and being mindful of what God is doing to us, we pray that God would open a door for the gospel. He says, open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So when do we preach the gospel? At every opportunity, every available opportunity we have based upon the way we speak, the way we act, our conduct should be one of the ways we're teaching the gospel. Because, again, Christ transforms us, and through the transformation that Christ brings us, he changes our actions. We allow our hearts and our minds and our actions to be changed. But we can't stop with actions alone it, you know, I know I, there's the, the, the wonderful, um, that wonderful adage of, of preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Um, I would ad- amend it very slightly of use words when necessary because words are necessary. Words open the door. Words are how we can most clearly communicate the, the beauty of the gospel. So we've got the who, we've got the what, the where, the when, Why? Romans chapter 10. I'm moving very quickly here this evening about um, the the who, what, where, when, why, because I want to spend a lot of time on the how. Um, But here in Romans chapter 10, Paul gives us, you know, the... The, the, the motivating factor behind the why we need to be preaching the gospel, why we need to be making disciples. Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 14. But how were they to call on him if, if whom they had not believed, in whom they had not believed? And how were they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. People can't call on the name of Christ if they don't know the person they're supposed to be calling on. They, they cannot be baptized into a name that they don't know. And if they have not put on Christ in baptism, they don't have any hope. And so we are living in a lost and dying world, and if, if we are, um, if we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not telling people about what Christ is, is what Christ wants to do in their lives, it's a lot like standing outside a burning building and being like, golly, must be bad for them. You know, we need to, we need to do something. Um, and I know this is a congregation of people, like, I don't have to convince you that you need to go out and, and spread the gospel. This is a congregation that supports mission works in the community and abroad. This is a community of people who loves their youth and loves one another and loves their community. I don't have to convince you of the necessity of preaching the gospel. But I find most often when we're talking about discipleship, what people struggle the most with is how do I do it? How do, how do I get started in, in spreading the gospel? We don't really... 
know how to start these conversations or to build these relationships. And the thing is about discipleship, discipleship is not a one-time thing. If we look at the ministry of Jesus, and we cannot separate the teachings from Jesus from the practices of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. They all have to be together. And so if we want to learn how to disciple, we have to look at Jesus. And that's clearly written out for us in the Gospels, all four of them. What does Jesus do to disciple the apostles? He spends time with them. Day in, day out. They eat together. They spend time together. They move around the countryside together in a group. Discipleship is relational. Discipleship doesn't happen in a classroom. Discipleship rarely happens in the church building, in my experience. The most effective, most longest-lasting discipleship, the most uh, efficacious discipleship is relational. We have to be spending time with people, and we have to be bringing them into our homes, and we have to be uh, going to Little League games and, and going shopping with people, and Spending time investing in others. That is the number one way that we can live out the truth of the gospel. Discipleship happens, again, in homes, at the lunch table at the office, or even over a cup of coffee. So, as we are taking the gospel with us, as we are are, are preaching the gospel, um, There is a a very simple way to know when it is the right time to to preach the gospel. As you invite people over to your home, say, for example, uh, we have Memorial Day coming up. Um, Maybe you would have people over to your home for for a cookout. Invite some folks from church. Invite some folks from your neighborhood, some people who aren't in the church, and, and have them mingle a little bit. Have them build relationships. As we spend time with one another, doing things that that we we share in common, um, one of the things that is common across all cultures is people complain. People complain. And when they complain, that is our opportunity to speak the truth of God's goodness into people's lives. So as as we study the Bible in our own private devotional time, um, let these things come to mind and, and let these things like kind of overflow as we, as we fill up on God's word, let it overflow into your speech. And so when people, you know, maybe they uh, complain about this thing at work or, or, or this thing in the home, we can speak the truth of how God comforts, how, how God is there to help, how God understands. As we begin to speak the truth of, of, of God's love and God's grace into people's lives, they will hear this. And then it's a very simple question of, uh, would you like to pray about this with me? Very few times, if ever, that I can think of, have I ever asked to pray with somebody and never been turned down. It doesn't matter if they go to church or not, if they're religious or not. Uh, Generally, most people are are pretty open for, for prayer. Prayer is an excellent tool for evangelism and discipleship. So as we pray with people, we, we pray not just for their circumstance immediately, the thing that they're struggling with, but also their eternal circumstance of their soul. 
And so as we begin to look at Scripture with them, you say, hey, let me, let me show you this. Let me show, I was reading this the other day. Let me show you this. And we share the Bible with them, whether it's on your phone or you carry your Bible with you. Keep the Word of God nearby. You, know, you, don't, you don't go to war and, and leave your sword back in the tent. You know, you all you want to have your sword with you. So, you know, if you don't have your Bible downloaded on your phone, maybe do that. If you don't, if you don't have a smartphone or if you don't like that sort of thing, carry your Bible with you. Uh, one of the things I heard uh, a, a, a local preacher say one time is, carry your Bible with you everywhere you go this week. If you go to the grocery store, carry it with you. If you go to work, carry it with you. If you go to school, put it on your desk. Carry your Bible with you everywhere you go. It will definitely get a few looks here and there, but. People will make comments, and it's an opportunity for you to share the Bible with them. So carry your sword with you wherever you go. And say, hey, do you mind if I show you this real quick? And you point to some scripture, and you, you begin to talk with them about that. And a lot of people are very open to discussing scripture, whether or not they believe that it has authority or power. But it's a way to bring spiritual conversations into the, the world outside of the church building. And so as we work our way towards a Bible study... Um, this is the method that I would use when I was uh, teaching, teaching English overseas and would, would begin to like bring the Bible into conversations. Here's a very good method. Um, quick show of hands. How many people here would feel comfortable leading a Bible study with little to no preparation at all? Few hands, few hands. This method is wonderful. You really don't have to have a whole lot of preparation for this. I've known missionaries from a lot of different backgrounds with a lot of different like knowledge, uh, a depth of knowledge, kind of a varying degrees, and it works for all of them. And what you do is you you turn to a passage of, of scripture that's fairly applicable. You know, have a good glossary in your Bible, or maybe take out your phone and Google like verses about dot 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 whatever it is that you're discussing, and, and turn into your Bible. So let's take, for example, if we're talking about Matthew 28, we would turn over to Matthew 28 and say, you know, hey, would you, would you read 18 through, uh, 18 through the end of the chapter? Just, eight, just three verses. Read those three verses for me. And they would read it for you. And you say, Could you, like, can you, like, how do you understand that? Like, and have them paraphrase it for you. And have them try to ask them some specific questions about, you know, trying to get them to paraphrase it in depth. Having them paraphrase it is a very valuable tip because it, it helps them to kind of begin to meditate about Scripture and to think about Scripture and to kind of understand it, you know, within their own terms. And as they're communicating it to you, sometimes they will maybe belabor one point more than another and they'll kind of like decrease emphasis on one thing. And that kind of tells you that where this person is in terms of the things that they value and things that they devalue. And that helps you in the future to kind of know, okay, this is kind of where this person is in their spiritual walk. So you ask them to kind of paraphrase things. And so as they paraphrase things, you listen to them. And, and then you ask them four questions, four very, very easy questions. Um, what does this teach you about God? You know, just, just based upon what this verse says, and what does this teach you about God? And so if we're looking at Matthew 28, you know, I would look at this and I would say, you know, well, well God thinks that we're, we're competent. He thinks that we're able to, to go out and preach the gospel. He's, he's entrusting, sounds like pretty much everybody with, with preaching the gospel. He thinks that I'm competent. He thinks that you're competent, that you can do this. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. I, you know, I, I like to think that God thinks that I'm competent. And, and so what is this then, second question, what does this teach you about humanity? 
What does it teach about people? It's like, hmm. Um, maybe that we have to be told. We have to be instructed to do this. Maybe that we're not going to do it unless we're kind of, you know, pushed a little bit into it. Maybe we're a little bit hesitant by nature. You know, preaching the gospel isn't necessarily a fun thing. Um, I, I know that that um, the, the, the first time I had to teach a Bible class, like, I, I just wanted to melt beneath the podium and just just disappear because there was something very intimidating about it because it's like this is God's holy word I don't feel like I'm I'm capable I don't feel like I'm ready you know and and we feel like we have to be Gus Nichols and memorize the entire Bible in order to be able to preach it but that's not the case you know you you teach what you know the early church really they didn't have the Bible that we have we have a whole lot more than they had in fact for most of the first century, if you had access to the Bible, you had probably some Old Testament scriptures. Uh, you probably didn't even have access to most of those. What we have found in, in ancient garbage dumps um, you know, is old copies of Psalms and Matthew. So you got your songbook and you got your gospel. And that's what most of them had. That was the most printed materials. Um, um, and then, so later, later on, as we get farther on in Christian history, you know, there were more things found. The point is, you don't have to know all of it to be effective. Let's look at Acts chapter, sorry, I'm going to finish last. The, we asked them, what does it teach you about humanity? Our third question is, and I, this is my favorite one, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? So as I'm looking at Matthew chapter 28, and someone asked me, what are you going to do with it? You know, you know, in my flesh, I'm going to say, well, you know, I, I guess I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach the gospel. And it's like, okay, be specific. Who are you going to preach the gospel to? Well, he says everybody. Yeah, but who are, you can't preach the gospel to everybody. Who, who do you have the ability to preach to? Well, I guess I could, I could preach to, like, my, my wife. Um, she listens to me. Uh, and maybe my, maybe my family. I got, a, I got a couple neighbors that I talk to. Maybe I could talk to them about it. Okay, okay, let's, let's pick one of them. Okay, my neighbor. Well, when are you going to talk to him? I don't know. I see him in the afternoons most days. So, okay, so which afternoon? Okay, tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow afternoon, I will preach the gospel to my neighbor. And it's like, okay. And, and what are you going to say to him? Uh, I don't know. And then you can maybe push them towards Romans or, or, or something that helped them as to understand and to... Uh, to, to, to spread the gospel. And as they are trying to find ways to, to apply this verse in their life, the last question you ask them is, is, who can you share this with? Because it's not enough to just, just do the gospel. You also want to share the gospel. And so it's an opportunity for them to, to think about God, think about humanity's relationship with God, how we apply God's word, and how we share God's word with others. And so let's put this all in context. Let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 2. After Peter's sermon, the first gospel sermon at Pentecost, verse 42 and following. And they, that is the ones who had been baptized, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we do that by reading scripture. Uh, uh, and fellowship to breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is discipleship in just a few small verses. It, it is how we study God's word and we do it communally. It is, it is how we, we share God's word, how we worship God communally. Again, they would go to the temple and they would praise God. And how they would sacrifice. They would, they would sell their possessions. They would share what they had. They lived as a family. And they would bring people into their, their homes. I tell you, the, the most effective evangelistic tool you have is in your dining room. The most effective tool that you have is a table. And it's a time and a place to share a meal and to love one another and to show hospitality, generosity, and conversation that will hopefully lead to spiritual conversations. So, if you are not yet a Christian and you want Christ to be part of your life, you want that transformative power of Christ at work in you, we, we, we have this time set aside at the, end of the, at the end of the sermon is an invitation that's open to all that you would come and you would give your life to Christ that having heard the word that Jesus Christ lived and died for you that you would respond with thanksgiving and giving your life over to Christ being, being baptized for the remission of your sins in the waters here in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as Jesus himself says in Matthew 28 and if, you, if you've already done that and maybe You've, you've kind of wandered away and you're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this much of my life to Jesus, but not totally give myself over. If you want to totally give yourself over to Christ and, and live with him eternally, we ask you that you would please come forward as we stand and as we sing, and we will pray with you. Thank you.